It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the Manchester is Red podcast from the Manchester Evening News. I'm your host, Dominic Booth, and I'm delighted to be joined by our Chief United writer, Samuel Luckhurst. Um, good afternoon on this, uh, I was going to call it a bright Wednesday afternoon. Samuel, how are you? Yeah, very well. Very well, thank you. It, uh, it it does help when United win a game. It doesn't feel as though um, it's it's end of day stuff uh, as it has done in recent weeks. But obviously the new cycle is, is still pretty intense uh, for the obvious reason. Absolutely not quiet at all after United's 2-0 Champions League win over Villarreal, but obviously lots going on besides the football at the moment with the managerial situation. Michael Carrick obviously in charge last night, so I mean, we'll, we'll go to the game first and then perhaps we'll talk about managerial developments <laughs> after that. It was um, a curious game in a way. United really didn't get going in the first half and, and were quite poor for probably two two thirds three quarters of the game you, you would say but their their game plan seemed to work well with those goals from Cristiano Ronaldo and Jaden Sancho late on um, confirming the that United are in the knockout stages of the Champions League and I think we'll do it as group winners after after all of that it's it seems like a, a strangely positive note for United <laughs> to, to be on at the moment. I know when we were leaving the ground in in Italy a few weeks ago, it, it was strange to think that United could actually still qualify with with a game to spare, and they've not not only done that, they've they've topped the group. So uh, that bodes well, especially for those of us covering the club who have had enough of we've had our fill of Europa League football in in recent years, and you, you want to be in the Champions League knockout stage uh, just just from a professional perspective because those are the nights that you will you probably get the biggest buzzes from. From, certainly in, in European football, but I, it was interesting that Carrick said that they they won in a way that he was he was pleased with the fact they had to grind it out that they didn't just um, coast to it against Real that they were never going to let's face it and he was uh, he acknowledged that himself the fact that they uh, they did have a game plan I think it was quite obvious even in the first half that the game plan was to be more compact defensively tighter shore things up not give away uh silly chances that have been uh, happening just so so regularly uh this season bar maybe the, the Leeds United game even that Newcastle game when United won 4-1 Newcastle had three or four pretty good openings and if they were a more clinical side it, it could have been uh, a pretty uh, disastrous day for United but Although De Gea still made some key saves last night, it wasn't as a consequence of um, ob- obviously bad defending or offensively bad defending. Yes, there were similarities in that De Gea did bail United out again and particularly the the final save he made, uh, the second half save, that, that was the best one by far. The, 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 two, the ones he made in the first half were eminently saveable. That one... I think it was from Troqueros. Um, the ball's bouncing up. Not only has he got to save it, he's got to get it away from the danger zone because it was quite a crowded area at that point. And he got it well out of harm's way to put it out for a corner. And he's he's been United's player of the season. The other player of the season is the guy up the other end who is responsible for all 10 of their Champions League points. 
And if you've got those two players on form and, and Ronaldo is as clinical as he often is, then your game plan is is likely to be vindicated. But that was also partly because of the substitutes that Carrick made. The, the two players um, that he chose to bring off were the right calls. The two players he brought on were the right calls as well. I thought Fernandez looked jolted by his demotion. He was a lot calmer on the ball. He was decisive um, in possession and he played a key role in in the second goal and he could have got an assist for, for Sancho earlier when he, he played him through one-on-one. So a, a really good night, especially the, the fact that they've qualified as, as group winners as well. But of course, nobody's nobody's getting carried away. Uh, I think even Rio Ferdinand was uh, well aware that he couldn't get carried away. He couldn't be banging the, the desk and getting a piece of paper out suggesting Michael Carrick should should get a new contract immediately. It was only Jamie Carragher um, spoofing yeah. that, wasn't it, on, um, it was, on yeah. social media. I don't think anyone should really be uh, talking about that seriously, and, and I don't think we will either. But no. it was interesting, um, Samuel, that you also did the story today, um, Wednesday, that um, United's coaches wanted to change the, the style of play under under Solskjaer, and the style of play was, was different. Um, last night under Carrick than it was under Solskjaer but yet these are the same coaches and, and many yeah. many were complaining that many of the coaches should have left with Solskjaer um, I suppose the counter to that was that you need someone to to literally put the cones out and to, yes. to do the training <laughs> sessions you can't have nobody on your coaching staff but that was interesting that Carrick seemed to bring about a change and that you know it, it's down to him really it's his credit for that tactical tactical way the game played out well, they're a lot more flexible. It was apparent from the off that there was something different about it in that Marshall was starting up front and Ronaldo was on the wing, which was quite bizarre, getting the top scorer to step aside for Marshall, who, as I mean, he's had, he's had an anus horribilis, let's face it. And, and that didn't quite come off. And, and Marshall obviously ended up coming off in the second half. But it was interesting that they were changing formation uh, depending on whether they had the ball, whether they're in possession, whether they're out of possession. Uh, I think it was 4-4-2 at one point. Fred was on the left. Uh, it looked a little bit like 4-3-3 when they did have the ball. You, you do need that tactical flexibility. Under Solskjaer, they were far too rigid and players were in fixed positions and unfortunately for Solskjaer, it, it was becoming a throwback to Mourinho's final days where the formations were just too fixed. Um, the players weren't fluid enough. They didn't have that flexibility. Solskjaer did actually bring that uh, when he first came in as, as caretaker manager and United were playing in a, a 4-3-3 and it seemed like the way forward for them was without um, an out-and-out number nine because Lukaku was absent and Lukaku never really got a look in until there were injuries while Solskjaer was his manager. So I thought the tactical intent from Carrick was was laudable, um, even in the first half, even at half-time when United were second-best, Villarreal were the better side. The pattern of the game wasn't too dissimilar to the Old Trafford game in the... Villarreal were better in the first hour, but not as obviously superior as they were at Old Trafford, where you had Dan Juma just rinsing Diogo Dallo time and again. And I think they fashioned far more chance in that game. But I suppose De Gea was there's there's a case that could be made in both matches that he was he was United's man of the match. Uh, I think it was more apparent in maybe the the home leg rather than the away leg. Uh, but again, that in game management that that. 
Carrick came up with was impressive. Uh, it's difficult to recall Solskjaer having that impact this season. Maybe West Ham away when Matic and Lingard came on and Matic breaks the lines with the pass and Lingard gets the winning goal. He, he didn't do that very often this season. Um, Greenwood at Atalanta was was obviously key, but by that point it was becoming it's become very rare that he made such key changes during a game. So credit to Carrick, he's he's got off to a good start. He was an ever-present in the technical area, whereas Solskjaer was more of a, a backseat driver, if you like, when when he was when he was at the wheel or not at the wheel, however however way you want to phrase it. Uh, so there were there were differences, there were similarities, but the, the big difference was that United actually won a game. Yeah, and I kept a clean sheet as well, which is only yes. the third time this season that they've actually done that. And I guess the other big change was the. The performance and the end product of Jaden Sancho it's taken an, almost three months for him to to really get going in the United shirt and um, find that goal. It was a, an excellent finish, and I thought it it sort of merited his, his performance. Really, the goal he he was an excellent presence, and he actually played on that right wing for ninety minutes throughout, which which made a, a difference in itself. Samuel, that could this be the start of Sancho? Well, that that could be it. Uh, Solskjaer's end could be Sancho's beginning, even at Watford on on Saturday. Uh, he's, I think he starts on the right. Sometimes it's difficult to remember. He starts on the right, then he was switched to the left uh, midway through, not even that, in that shambolic first half. Rashford was taken off at half-time, and then Sancho was back on the right again. And it was his cross that, that led to United's goal, uh, with Ronaldo knocking it down for Van der Beek. So there was some... There was some gradual progress there, but it's not like anyone was writing home about Sancho's cross for Ronaldo or anything. But against Villarreal, he was a threat before he scored. Um, he should have scored before then. It was it was a very good save, in fairness, from Ruley. Uh, I thought at first that it was it was more of a bad miss, but looking back on it, I think the, the way that the keeper extended his leg to um, block the ball, uh, the, the keeper probably deserved more credit for it than than I initially gave him. But it did help that Sancho just played on the right wing. And I think that's probably why Marshall and, and Van der Beek suffered in that their roles did seem to change uh, throughout the game. And although that, as I said, that tactical flexibility was was laudable, it, it did come at the cost of some individual performances. And it was it was those two who who failed to perform. Whereas Sancho was just on the right wing the whole night. Last year when United wanted to sign him but didn't sign him, he was earmarked as their right wing priority. When they did sign him this year, he was just a mere winger, which doesn't seem like a big difference, but it but it is a big difference in that he spent most of last season playing from the left for Dortmund and he's coming at United and most of his starts this season have have come on the left. But really, you've got to do what's... It's, it's needs must for the team, really. And I know Greenwood's had a, a reasonable season so far, um, but, but is obviously uh, out with COVID at the moment. But Sancho was a £72.9 million investment as a right winger. They've, they've had an... They've had massive issues with the right wing for years and years and years, possibly going back to to when Ronaldo was first at the club. That was that was the role that was intended for him. And in fairness to Carrick, he's he's kept him in the team, which was the right call. He said, just play on the right wing, 
do do what you can do. Um, defensively, he was quite disciplined as well. I think he he made. Uh, I think it was only Fred. Dave Hughes said to me, uh, Fred was the only one who made more defensive pressures than than Sancho, and that was only by one. So that's pretty laudable when you think how well Fred played last night as well. And I think Fred probably had his best game of the season. So certain individuals definitely benefited from Carrick's management, but with. With, with Sancho, really was just a simple case of play on the right wing. That's where we bought you um, to play and, and show what you can do. And fortunately for United, he did that last night. Yeah, it's, uh, it's certainly a good sign for the future. And I guess a lot of these players now, as you said, Sammy, will hope to, to turn over and leaf under the new manager. Now, there's lots of managerial news knocking about. We'll run, run through a few of the headlines at the moment that one of them being that United have had um, an approach for Mauricio Pochettino rejected by Paris Saint-Germain. Now, the story, as we understood it yesterday, was that United were interested in Pochettino and they believe they could get him. Obviously, we know how much he wants the job, Samuel. Uh, we know about his situation in Paris and uh, the possibility of Zinedine Zidane to go there. Where does this rejected approach leave United, especially... Um, with a lot of stories now popping up about United potentially looking at an interim manager like a uh, Ralph Rangnick, who they're interested in, um, and Ernesto Valverde. But Pochettino would obviously be the be the long term permanent manager if he came in. He would. They've they've actually finally got a plan now, which is probably the most encouraging thing about the whole the whole matter. Um, I don't think they'll be discouraged by PSG PSG. Um, rejecting that that inquiry because that's probably part of the tactic because then it will be, does Pochettino kick off and tell PSG they've approached the club? Uh, this is United, of course. United have approached PSG. I want to go to United. So it could still happen sooner rather than later. I think it is going to happen. I think that's just the inevitability of it. It, it, it has become a, a case of when... And I don't think PSG knocking back United's inquiry is is the end of it as well. From from what I gather and what what could be bubbling under the surface, ready to to emerge within the next twenty four hours or so. But they have to have a plan in place if they can't get Pochettino now. Hence, why they're holding these discussions and interviewing candidates. I was told that one candidate, at least one candidate, uh, flew into Manchester in person on Tuesday. Uh, Ed Woodward and Richard Arnold were not in Spain for the Real game so that they could uh, conduct these these interviews with potential interim managers. So th at least they've got a contingency plan in place in the event that Pochettino doesn't come mid-season. They outlined that intention in the statement on Sunday when, when they sacked Solskjaer. Uh, whether the plan all along was for them to to do that and it's changed now, I'm not too sure. I suspect that originally they did just think, well, Pochettino's not going to come mid-season, we'll go for him in the summer. But it very quickly transpired that Pochettino does want to come now. And I, I don't think United would have phrased that statement in the way they did if they had prior knowledge of, of Pochettino's true feelings. A day later, they had full knowledge of of his true feelings. And it was interesting on Pochettino's Zoom call um, yesterday evening, which was held about half an hour before United kicked off and, and ended, I think, just after United's game had, had started with Real. But he answered every question in English. Um, the questions came from English reporters, French reporters. 
I don't imagine that he answers every question uh, at Paris Saint-Germain, Liga, press conferences in, in English. So I think there was a bit of a charm offensive there. Uh, the fact that he mentioned Ferguson's name as well. He, he said an awful lot without saying anything at all. It was pretty obvious. I mean, it's, it's obvious to everyone what he wants. He, he cannot come out and say on the eve of a PSG Champions League match at Manchester City, yeah, I actually would like to stay in this in this city. I don't want to get on the plane with the rest <laughs> I've of... I've already packed my, packed my bags for a longer trip than, than yeah. planned. Yeah. I've, I've already um, reserved Jose's uh, penthouse in the Lowry or, or anything like that. Um, I mean, anyone who who just believe what he was saying yesterday uh, is, is more gullible than you'd ever believe. So uh, th- there were interesting aspects of it from what he was saying, um, but he's he's somewhat compromised because it was a, he was somewhat compromised, I should say, sorry, because it was a pre-match press conference. And of course, there aren't many managers in that position who are going to flutter their eyelashes at another club whilst they're contracted to a club. Yeah, it does feel unusual in that sense with obviously a lot of talk about Zidane going to PSG and him being interested in that job. We we know really that Zidane doesn't want a job in the Premier League. It seems strange that there would be talk of a PSG manager leaving uh, for another another club without being sacked in the middle of a season. But I guess that's the position we're in. Um, if, if he doesn't come, Samuel, um, what's United's plan what's the most likely eventuality all these other names being being flown around would they still have the nerve to appoint an interim and then go back in for Pochettino in the summer I think they would because they want Pochettino um that's that's pretty obvious now when Pochettino wants to come to them so it it really is a case of when that happens something drastic would have to go wrong for for it not to happen now like a a, a caretaker manager overperforming and duping the the board into making them permanent manager, which has obviously happened before with United, but it's happened before. So you would think they're not going to repeat that mistake. And the criteria of coaches that they are looking at as an interim manager very much, that they, they really do scream caretaker manager, sorry, interim manager, forget the caretaker, it's it's interim That's manager. That's confusing itself. I know, it, but they do scream interim manager. I was saying to someone the other day, like it's it's someone as someone with the profile of Manuel Pellegrini, really. And then when Valverde's uh, name came up, I thought, well, yeah, the, the, the way he speaks, having been at one of his press conferences, um, it's, it's quite similar to Pellegrini. So from a purely selfish and professional perspective, I hope it's not Valverde because I don't think he'd be particularly engaging on Zoom calls or, or press conferences. Manchester City are doing press conferences again uh, in person this week. So hopefully United get their act together and, and uh, reopen the doors to Carrington. But they have to have a contingency plan, as I said. And Michael Carrick, as, as, as good a start as he's had, is not the right man to lead United uh, for the rest of the season. He's, he's complicit in the failings of this season. Uh, the fact that he that Carrick and McKenna did want to change formation under Solskjaer and Solskjaer vetoed those plans, does not exonerate them from the situation United are in. I thought what Paul Scholes said last night was was correct in that Phelan, McKenna and, and Carrick shouldn't be at the club. But as you said, you do need someone to put out the cones, take training sessions. There was never going to be a mass exodus. I think Phelan should have gone with Solskjaer with Carrick and McKenna, they were already at the club before 
uh, Solskjaer came in as caretaker manager. So maybe they would have been safeguarded by that. That said, those two have been responsible for the the training sessions at Carrington while while Solskjaer was manager. So th- their position is is pretty untenable going off that. And McKenna has been described to me as as like a, a school teacher with the players, and his his methods are very unpopular with a lot of the senior players as well. So I, I think he's on borrowed time with Carrick. A lot of those players played with him, so I think he's got a bit he's bound to command a little bit more respect uh just just going off that but as a manager these these players aren't daft they're they're going to want someone credible to come in and and try and salvage the season and there's a hell of a lot of football to be played as well to salvage the season absolutely yes a huge amount now to compete for especially with the champions league qualification into knockout stages fa cup top four uh one of the stories today samuel that you've written is um United have shortlisted Ralph Rangnick to take over. He's he's obviously one of those names that's very much suited with the interim job, like you say, with Will Valverde as well. A lot of fans get quite excited at the, the prospects of, of Rangnick with his, I guess, his uh, his background in recruitment and, and what he did at the RB Leipzig group. What would he be like as a as a short-term prospect? I mean, is this a January window that he could he could get his teeth into or would it it probably just would be a seeing them through to the end of the season job. It would be an interesting dynamic given that he has transitioned to a more um, a management role. And I don't mean a football manager role, uh, but he's been the sporting director of, I think it was the Red Bull group, wasn't it? He, he had a lot to do with Salzburg and Leipzig, um, unearthing Joshua Kimmich, Sadio Mane, Nabi Keita, Deo Upamecano, Timo Werner, I think, was another player. And his role at the moment is the head of sports and development and at Lokomotiv Moscow. So he it is a little bit peculiar that there's... Um, great fascination uh, with Rangnick and and he seems to be extremely popular with uh, the online fan base as well I I can't quite put my finger on why other than his his hit rate in recruitment yet he's seen as someone to come in as as interim manager which is obviously a very very different role he's got a long long background in in coaching of course he was the, the Schalke coach when they got to the Champions League semi-finals in, in 2011 when they, they I think they beat Inter Milan 5-2 in the quarterfinals and then they got demolished 6-1 on aggregate by United in the semi-finals with, with Anderson scoring twice and Darren Gibson scoring um, quite, quite it was a very very unusual semi-final but that that's how it panned out so again I think it's probably just a symptom of online giddiness that here's this rather impressive sporting director who can can really spot a player and, and develop a player but have those players been developed under his coaching was it just he who effectively scouted them or recruited them uh, I, I don't necessarily think that he is ideal interim manager material um, particularly because because of his name He's one of those managers, if he were to get it, that would probably feel emboldened to, also so, so certainly confident at least, of, of getting it on a permanent basis um, and, and trying to change United's mind, unless they're absolutely adamant that if they do appoint an interim manager and they tell that man you're going to be interim manager, your contract is just until the end of the season, which was the case with Chelsea and Rafael Benitez in 2012-13. 
so and also going off that sporting director dynamic uh does that put pressure on john murter who's the football director does it put pressure on darren fletcher who's technical director and a very tenuous technical director as well it must be said he was in the dugout again against Real. that is not what a technical director of football club should be doing um rangnick is is more qualified for those roles than uh, fletcher and, and murta as well even though murta's got quite an experienced background in uh, that administrative uh, administrative side at football clubs not just with united but with everton as well um but but ultimately, I think that for someone of Rangnick's profile, I think he's maybe got too big a profile to just settle with an interim title. I think he would see it beneath beneath him. And I think that was possibly the problem they had with the statement. When they used the word interim, a lot of coaches would have turned their noses up at that. And with Benitez and Chelsea, some of the listeners might not even be old enough or can't remember, but when they referred to him as interim manager... And because he was so pop, unpopular, I should say, from his time at Liverpool, it got to the point at some point in the season where Benitez actually said that look, the problem is the, the club referred to me as, as interim manager. So that's how much of a bone of contention it became with Rafael Benitez. And let's face it, at that point in his career, at any career, at, at, at any point in his career, in fact, uh, with Benitez, he has he never nobody's ever seen him as an interim manager. It was a very, very strange choice of words. But as it happened, Chelsea finished in the top four and they won the Europa League under him. It's interesting how unpopular that term seems to be with fans as well. A lot of fans saying they don't want an interim manager. They don't, they don't want to risk what we mentioned at the beginning could happen with Carrick or that might happen it's more likely to happen with an interim manager that they do well until the end of the season. United get the top four, they win the FA Cup, the Champions League semi-final yeah. or something, and then United extend the contract of Rangnick or Valverde or whoever it is. Fans want a long-term appointment and they they want it now, really, and that's why there's a, a massive clamour for, for Pochettino now, isn't there? It, it's yeah. it's just not a, not a popular plan. I don't think that fans maybe trust the club to to do the right thing on this one. No, I think if you were to do a poll on do you agree with the plan United have outlined in their statement, then I suspect the vast majority would say no because it's a very, very strange approach to have four different managers in post within a potentially a, a seven or eight month period, not even that, maybe six month period. Uh, I, I don't think that's healthy for continuity and rhythm of the team uh the, the structure of it because obviously a, a new manager whether it's interim or permanent is going to come in and they're going to have their own methods and and try and impose that on the players a lot of the players are out of contract next year have the club just decided their futures are done for they're leaving on a free or they're going to try and obtain a fee for them in January I don't know I suspect that they've they've given up the ghost with Paul Pogba and Jesse Lingard with with Juan Mata and Edinson Cavani they're well into their 30s Mata has barely been seen all season it's, it's pretty obvious that this is his last season at United and he is also open to, to leaving in January Cavani's too flaky fitness wise 
it would be very, very surprising if he was to have another year added on to his current contract as well, unless a new manager comes in and, and they really hit it off. Um, with if, if Pochettino was to come in mid-season, I don't think it's beyond the realms of possibility that he'd get a real buzz out of coaching Cavani and Cavani would get a real buzz out of being coached by Pochettino. And then maybe he would last another year in Manchester. But at the moment, it's very, very difficult to envisage that. So just just from the prospect of having four, yeah, I mean David Hay has played under seven managers now at Manchester United. I think for him to play under two more within the space of the next six months or so would be would be crazy. Really, I don't think it massively benefits anyone, and that's why it was such a peculiar plan that they outlined. You had to reread it two or three times actually to to really gauge what they wanted to do. When I first read it, I thought Carrick was in charge until the end of the season. When I reread it, I, I couldn't understand. I was struggling how long he was in charge for. And then it was probably on the third reading that it, it was a bit clearer. So um, all that evidence, sorry, all that statement um, confirmed was that it was more evidence that they had no plan in the first place uh, when, when they were thrashed by Liverpool 5-0. And you knew at that point that, Solskjaer was on borrowed time and it was a matter of when he was going to be sacked. Yeah, exactly. Uh, hopefully, United fans will be hoping at least that the uh, the plan works to fruition and that something something happens soon. Uh, it won't happen soon enough for this weekend, you, you wouldn't think, with no, Chelsea lingering around the corner and um, they're looking pretty decent form after a thrashing Juventus 4-0 uh, later on Tuesday night. That looks like a, a real challenge for Carrick and yeah, I mean, United might end up playing seven or eight at the back for this one. You, you feel like if they'll, they'll be back to the wall from from the first whistle, and maybe it'll be uh, it'll be a, a cut and shut for Carrick this game, and then out, and then a, a, a management appointment early next week, perhaps. And it's a Chelsea without Romelu Lukaku as well. Uh, you, you forget that he's not scored for them in God knows how long, and I know he's been injured for over a month as well, but. I think Chelsea are just a great case in point that if you were to, I don't, I don't, I think you and I both agree we're not big fans of the combined 11, but just for argument's sake, if you were to do a combined 11 of every available Chelsea and United player at their absolute optimum, I would be picking, the, the majority of my picks would be from, from United, but it doesn't work out like that. And the probably the most important pick if you were to do a combined 11, would be the coach. Tuchel, the mid-season appointment of Tuchel was just such a masterstroke by Chelsea and, and such an obvious thing to do that it, it really, it was it was strange, really, that although Lampard had that legendary status that there was so much mawkish mourning over his sacking because it got to a point where it was quite clear that now that he had a budget and that Chelsea could sign players, that he wasn't up to managing managing that team or that club with that dynamic. Whereas Tuchel has that force of personality and has the coaching qualities uh, to make it work. And he's probably been the signing of, of the year, really, in the Premier League. You, you can't you can't argue with that. He comes in, they win the Champions League, and they've been first pretty much from the word go in the Premier League this season. He's done a phenomenal job there. I remember when PSG played United, uh, when, when Solskjaer was, was in charge as a caretaker, just being really impressed by the cut of Tuchel's jib in press conferences and thinking it's, it's inevitable this this guy is going to come to the Premier League. And 
from a professional perspective, I was I was hoping it would be United because he's a fascinating talker and United are always much easier to cover when when they're playing well and doing well. Unfortunately, he's ended up at Chelsea and and he's another coach that United missed the boat on. Uh, so, I mean, it, it is a daunting task this weekend. Uh, the fact that Carrick and McKenna were quite were quite keen to switch to a back three sooner is interesting in that Chelsea play with a back three. United are going to be under pressure, I think, just to switch to that formation um, because they're coming up against the best team in, in the Premier League at the moment. But whether they can make that work under such short notice remains to be seen. They've, they've at least been playing in that formation uh, quite a lot recently, although the results were decidedly mixed. The formation was abandoned before half-time against Atalanta because Varane came off injured. It was abandoned at half-time because they were 2-0 down against Manchester City and just not getting a kick. So I think if they were to go to a back three, they would have to make some pretty major modifications. I don't think they can quite get away with uh, allowing the back five to be as detached from from the rest of the outfield players. They've they've got to, as I say, they've, they've got to modify it and tweak it. The way the way it works for Chelsea is is very similar to how it worked under Antonio Conte when he was there, when it was more of a 3-4-3 or a 3-4-2-1. Uh, and you just look at the way they're playing at the moment. And let's face it, United have got players in that squad to to make it work as well. Yeah, they've certainly got the quality to to match Chelsea if they yeah. can perform to, to the top of their abilities. It's just whether that happens on the day. I suppose Carrick might approach it as something as a free hit. It may be his last last game as a as a United manager. It might be his last game ever as a manager if he goes back into coaching and doesn't have any ambitions for for anything else. Have you got a a, sh- a small prediction for us, Samuel, before we end this weekend's podcast. I know how much you look- love these. And <laughs> I look forward to your combined 11 as well in the next couple of days. Oh, God, Jesus, yeah. Some- somebody's going to put-, put in pressure on me to do that now after what I've said. Um, I- I'll give my team sheet prediction on the day of the of the game as well when that drops, but it's it's difficult to say anything other than a... Well, it's- I think it's pretty much impossible to say anything other than a, than a Chelsea win as... as- uh, impressive to an extent that United were against Villarreal. Villarreal, a twelfth in La Liga. Okay, that doesn't necessarily give a true reflection of the quality in their team or um, their status in as, as a European side as well in, in European competition. But uh, y- for United to kick on from last night against the, the top team in the Premier League with one of the best coaches in the world with probably the most rounded squad in the Premier League as well. I think that's that's been particularly key this season. Although Chelsea haven't got the best first 11, if you like, they've got the most rounded squad. I think all bases are covered um, in that squad, whereas City have, have got uh, an issue up front because they didn't get Harry Kane or Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, the, the midfield is aging. Left back isn't a problem anymore, really. It seems to them because Cancelo's playing there all the time, and he's one of the. Well, he's, he's, he's a playmaking fullback. He, he absolutely fits into that that Guardiola side. But the main issue is is the lack of a number nine. Uh, Liverpool could have refreshed their, their attack a little bit more um, in the summer, but didn't. So, with Chelsea, although. 
as I said, in terms of a first eleven, I don't think it, they have got the best first eleven in the Premier League. But the strength and depth they've got is so so impressive. And I mean, Tuchel's even playing your your old favourite Ross Barkley and, and getting a tune out of him from time to time. So uh, provisionally, Chelsea win. Uh, I can't see any other outcome. No, I I'm usually Mister Positive, as you know, but I inclined to agree on this one. Um, we'll have to see what happens, of course, and you'll be able to get all our. Uh, reaction to the game and all the coverage, of course, of the latest managerial situation on the Manchester Evening News. Um, for now, Samuel, thanks very much for, for joining me this afternoon. Thank you, Dom. Appreciate it. And thank you very much for listening. Keep leaving us a like and a subscribe on the Manchester is Red channel, wherever you get your podcasts. And we'll be back for another episode very, very soon. Cheers. <laughs>